Well, good morning, everybody. Let's see, I don't really see any new faces. Um, I think you were here when we started Canons of Dort. Okay, okay, good. Um, so yeah, I don't have to go into uh, a bunch of, bunch of background. Um, I won't really step through the slides. Um, just kind of throw up what I threw up last time. You know, Canons of Dort, it's a theological confession going back, you know, about 400 years. Um, it's written in response to the, the Remonstrance, which was uh, an Arminian uh, the, uh, theological statements made by the followers of, of Jacob, Jacob Arminius, and it's a, a reformed response to that. And then these are the main sections. Uh, last week we covered um, point one or section one, which is divine election and reprobate. Actually, the last two weeks we studied divine election and reprobation. Today we're going to get into the second section, which is Christ's death and human redemption through it. And then we're going to try to cover three and four next week, and then point five uh, the week after. And then I'm hoping that, uh, I just talked to Ken, um, I'll be on vacation, um, I guess in three weeks, three, three or four weeks. And so we're going to try to get um, him to come in and do a little um, biblical theology on um, the biblical theology of the atonement. So taking atonement from Old Testament through New Testament, I think that'll be pretty cool. And then, oh, we're getting into the meat of it. So let's pray, then we'll, we'll get started. Father, thank you once again um, for this, just this time to come together uh, to study um, about the, the work of your son on the cross. Uh, Father, we ask that um, deeper understanding, not just in an intellectual way, not just in an intellectual way, but also in a, um, a heart way, a, a personal way, to get to know you better and to get to know your, uh, your son better. Father, we ask that um, only truth uh, be remembered um, uh, after this class and that um, you for, forgive us where we fail you. Um, for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to get straight into section, um, section two, um, article one. So let's see what it says. Remember, uh, if you remember the structure, generally the first article is a, uh, a common, something that's common that all Christians should agree on, and then they build the case going through the, the, very, the following articles to build to the distinctly reformed, um, reformed case, or re reformed statement, I should say. So, Article 1, God is not, supreme, not only supremely merciful, but also supremely just. This justice requires, as God has revealed in, in the Word, that the sins we have committed against His infinite majesty be punished with both temporal and eternal punishments of soul as well as body. We cannot escape these punishments unless satisfaction is given to God's justice. All right, so what is justice? Getting what? Justice. Just what you deserve. Okay, well said. Getting just what you uh, deserve. Um, I think in the textbook it'll say... Uh, getting what is due, or kind of something of that nature. 
But yeah, by and large is, uh, you can think of it as the punishment fits the crime, or the reward reports the, uh, um, the uh, reward is fitting for you know, the virtue or whatever you did well, uh, the wages for the labor, that sort of thing. So what is mercy? God doesn't give us what we deserve. So we have this idea of justice, which is getting what you deserve, and we have this idea of mercy, which is not getting what you deserve. Okay? Um, so that, what do you, what do you think? Is, how, is that complicated? Is that a contradiction? How does that work when we're dealing with Christianity? Because justice says you do get what you deserve, but mercy says you're not, you don't get what you deserve. What do you think? It's not that God said, okay, I'm just going to absolve this sin and it's just, we're going to just, it's going to go away. He doesn't right. say that. He was just because he still exacted payment. It's just he exacted it from his son and not from us, the ones who deserved it. Right. So he's merciful to us, but he's still just because it's not like the penalty went away. Okay, excellent, excellent. It's not like God just forgot about our sin, okay? There's still payment to be made, but like she said, it, it just, Christ paid it. And that is the cornerstone of Christianity. Um, we're going to get into the, the theological term here in a few minutes, but what's the theological term for that? Great Grace. Propitiation is, is satisfaction for uh, the, the uh, offending God. Looking for one more. Justification is, is a part of it as well. Uh, justification is uh, like a court setting. You're, you're declared not guilty. What's that? That's the one I was looking for, substitutionary atonement. There is a term. I said the, <laughs> it's a theological term. Okay. So very, but, but thank you, Stuart. Yeah, substitutionary atonement. We're going to, and we'll talk about that here in a few minutes, but that is the cornerstone of, of Christianity, that, yes, we offended the holy God, um, but, um, and so payment must be made, propitiation, uh, we must be justified, but it is Christ who justifies us. It's Christ who does the, the work. All right, so... Prior to the cross, we have this idea of, we'll, we'll call it uh, justice, law, that sort of thing. And then there's mercy, grace, that sort of thing. So how do we see these, these two things play out in Jesus's earthly ministry? And it might be too specific of a question, uh, or it might be a little vague, but I want to just want to see. What do, what do you guys think? Prior to the cross, when we see him interacting with the world, with the, the people. Yes, sir. Yeah. 
Okay. So we see him forgiving sins, which would be, if, we, if we're allowed to use the language of sides, it would be kind of on the mercy side. Now, what typically characterized the people that he gave that mercy to? Repentance, exactly. Humility, repentance. Um, they, when he had uh, prostitutes and tax collectors sitting at the table with him, right? do you think that they were really flippant people? Do you think that they were um, uh, taunt, not taunting sin, what, what, uh, openly sinning in front of him, right? No, they, they, were, they, they were humble. They were repentant. They, they came to him um, acknowledging him as Lord and wanting him to, asking for him to, um, to uh, intervene on their behalf. I think of Matthew chapter 15, which the, the Seraphonician woman with the, the daughter who was demon-possessed came to him. And what did, what did she say to him? Uh, she, she asked him to help her, to, to heal her daughter. Bless you. He said, um, you know, the, the, uh, it's not right to give food meant for the children to the dogs. And how did she respond to that? What's that? Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She had probably a better understanding of who he was than anybody else in, in the book of Matthew. And he acknowledged that and he helped her. He gave her mercy because she was humble. She humbled herself before him. Okay. Now, think about the flip side. Who did he give justice or law to? Yes. Uh-huh. He showed his justice toward the accuser okay. and his mercy toward the woman. So that's a great example. The woman caught in adultery, she seemed to be repentant, and so he gave her mercy, but the accusers, he, he kind of threw more law at them, right? Yeah, you, yeah. Um, yeah, so who are the, the big ones? Who's the, the, the big block of people that he gave law to? The Pharisees, right? And so it's a really, um, it, it's a basic, um, I think it's a basic understanding of Jesus' uh, teaching and ministry is that he gave um, grace to the humble and he gave law and justice to the, the proud. Thank you. And so, um, so I think that... Um, you know, we see that played out in his earthly ministry, very similarly, uh, very similar to, to seeing it played out kind of in the, uh, in the end times. All right. So we have this phrase here about both temporal and eternal punishments of soul as well as body. So I want to focus in on that idea of temporal punishment real quick, Okay. And this is kind of more of a side note than anything, but I think it's an important teaching. So why must uh, we be careful in understanding, some, uh, in understanding something as a temporal punishment? Yes, sir. we're punished for sins that we commit, then Christ's atonement on the cross was not sufficient to cover our sins. Okay, okay, good. So if we are punished for... Uh, for our sins, then, then 
Christ's punish, Christ punishment on the cross would not be sufficient. Yes. Christ's sacrifice took the eternal punishment. Yeah. But it didn't take the consequences okay. for our sin. And that someone could could think, oh, the consequences are the temporal right. punishment. Right. And that's the suffering in this life that you know, if I have a if I have a car accident, okay, yeah. I gotta fix my car right. and whoever else I mean, I got to pay the consequences for that. Right. I'm forgiven, but. Right. So what Stuart's saying is that um, a sin can, can be forgiven, but there can still be consequences. So, for example, um, say somebody um, commits adultery and contracts uh, HIV or something like that, right? Well, they can be forgiven for that, uh, for that sin, but the consequences of their action in the form of that disease would, would, would carry forward. Yes, sir? Uh, tempting to get put the cart before the horse if we recognize temporal punishment uh, as punishment for sin, because then we might say, well, every time something bad happens to me, it's, a, it's caused by a sin. I got cancer because I sinned against God. Right. And that's not and that, always true. Yes, and these, the points that we've been making um, are important points, but that's actually where I wanted to go because it's more of a pastoral sort of thing, right? And so the idea there is, is if everything's something bad, every time something bad happens to you, if you say it's a punishment because of my, my sin, then it's almost like that's karma or something, right? Okay? And go ahead. Yes. Absolutely. And it's, so it's, it's also what um, Job's friends were saying, and they were condemned for that way of thinking, okay? And so um, we can also bring in the book of James. If you look at James chapter 1, it talks about trials. What are the purpose of trials? What's that? Training in righteousness, right? Increasing your faith, helping you to, to rely on God just that much more. They're not punishment. Yes, Go ahead. What percentage of our trials uh-huh. are God working in us that way? That's a great question. Yeah. What percentage of our trials are God working in us that, that way? You know, how, which ones are, are, are uh, consequences of sin and which ones are um, God just trying, you know, just working on our faith? I'm not saying trying to work on our faith, working on our faith, because he doesn't try anything. He does. Can I answer my own question? Go for it. I would say 100%. Okay. Okay. That God, um, that there's a distinction between the, the, the struggles that we have because of sure. sin. Okay. The struggles that we have because, because we can get away with sin. Right, right. There, there can be no consequences right. on earth for sin. Right. None that are visible to us. Yeah. Um, but, but if there's any visible consequence to sin, whether it's that or just the Lord bringing an illness or yeah. a loss or or bringing to mind a sin, it's always the Lord working in us. I mean, uh, we're, we're never separated from the influence of God's sovereign providence in our right. lives. Right. So what George is saying is that they're all, um, all trials are um, God, God working in us. Now, th- this distinction between punishment and, um, and trials is an important distinction to make. 
because I remember I was in a Sunday school class one time, and there was somebody in the class who had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember the teacher was kind of making it sound like, um, you know, you, you almost, he'd say you get what you deserve, but, you know, it, it, it kind of made it sound like, like trials and things can be punishment, of, punishment from God for, for sin, right? And I, I just had to, to jump into that because I knew the kind of the emotional state of that particular person at that time. And I did not, we could not have them thinking that their um, getting breast cancer was punishment for something that they did or their, their, their family did um, or their husband did. And so, um, so, again, that's an important distinction to make is that if we look at temporal punishment, I, I kind of wish they were to word it a little bit better, okay? Did what I just say make sense? Yeah? Okay, good. Um, I felt like I kind of rambled a little bit. but um, So it's almost like um, temporal trials and eternal punishments or something of that nature, okay? Good, good, good observations, though. So why body and soul? Why both body and soul? being punished. Eternal nature. It's eternal nature, but it's, it's the whole being, right? It's the whole person. Um, you know, you are mind, you are spirit, but at the same time, you are um, body as well. And so we, we can't, your body is a part of, of who you are. Now, what Carl Truman says, anybody know who Carl Truman is? Yeah, handful of people. Um, he's he may be my favorite writer that's alive today, um, but he wrote a book called Grace Alone, which I think is a modern-day classic. Um, and this is a, a short quote from, um, from that book. He said, Grace is that aspect of divine action by which God blesses his rebellious creatures. It characterizes the manner in which he deals with those who, th- uh, who through their rejection of him as their creator and sovereign, deserve nothing from him and yet whom he still chooses to bless. In salvation, in particular, the character of grace is manifest. A loving God, faced with the rebellion of his creatures, desires to bring them back into communion with himself. Yet his holiness cannot simply allow their sin to pass without response. For if God allows our unholy rejection of him to stand, he is contradicting his own holy nature. The answer is grace. Action on God's part, motivated by love and shaped by holiness, which takes account of the seriousness of sin, yet brings sinners back into communion with him. And I think, I, I think that's a beautiful couple of paragraphs. I think it's a great explanation of grace, which is ultimately what we're talking about here. All right. Please don't tell Ken I quoted a guy that's still alive, okay? Okay. All right. Article 2, The Satisfaction Made by Christ. Since, however, we ourselves cannot give the satisfaction or deliver ourselves from God's wrath, God in boundless mercy has given us as a guarantee his only begotten Son, who was made to be sin and a curse for us in our place on the cross in order that he may give satisfaction for us. So how does the world view this idea, specifically this idea that 
we ourselves cannot give the satisfaction or deliver ourselves from God's wrath. Let's break it in half. I, I just realized I need to break it in half. First of all, what do they think about God's wrath? not really that bad or it's is it even a thing right because if God is love then how can a loving God be be wrath right and that's a very uh that's a very popular view that that God has no wrath that God is like the cosmic grandfather and while you you know that 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 just wants his grandkids to come over so he can buy them ice cream okay and so the idea here is is that um, the world and popular, even mainstream Christianity or so-called Christianity actually denies the, the reality of, of, of God's wrath, okay? Um, it's interesting. I was just outside talking to, to Brian Hutchinson, and we were talking about um, people that, that just in general that are faced with something that they don't want to believe. And we've both experienced this here recently where they can hear almost incontrovertible, is that the convertible? Is that the word? Yeah, um, evidence, and they um, just choose to to move on to another topic, you know. And so it's a very similar thing when you get into God's wrath and you're having a quote unquote spiritual conversation with with folks. So we ourselves cannot give this satisfaction or deliver ourselves from God's wrath. What do they think about the inability of man to save ourselves? What do you guys think? They don't like it at all. They don't like it at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to save ourselves, but not impossible, because God's God's nice enough. He gives us divine assistance. Or good deeds outweigh bad deeds. I'm better than, and right. You name somebody. Right. I'm better than so and so. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not like I'm Hitler or anything. That's kind of a classic argument. So, um, so, so the idea here is is that kind of the world um, rejects the idea that we need somebody else to save us. Okay. That's a fundamental thing that, that is rejected. And by the way, when I say they, and when I say people, okay, we have to put a mirror up in front of ourselves, me, you, everybody, and, and ask ourselves, are, are, do we deceive ourselves in, this, in a similar way or in a way that's just as bad? And, and maybe not in this particular doctrine, but in, in other ways as well. Right. Yes, sir. This is so dangerous mm-hmm. for somebody to, to, to downplay God's wrath because then they don't right. need a savior. Absolutely. So if they downplay God's wrath, why do you need a savior? Because why do you need good news if there's no bad news, right? Why do you need a cure if there's no disease? You know, I'm certainly if, you know, not going to go, you know, go through chemo or whatever I need to go through if I don't think I have cancer. So why would I pick up my cross daily if I don't believe that I'm a sinner, you know, or if I believe that I can save myself? All right. Okay, so in our place, how does the world view this idea? I think I just asked that. Um, what's the key theological term here? 
substitutionary atonement. Jesus died in the place of sinners, bearing the punishment that was due to, to them or to us. And that last phrase there gives satisfaction for us. The key word there is propitiation. Propitiation means satisfaction. Article three. This death of God's son is the only and entirely complete sacrifice and satisfaction for sins. It is of infinite value and worth, more than, more than sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world. So I just underlined the whole thing, right? So how important is it for us to understand this? The... Um, the only and entirely complete sacrifice and satisfaction for sins. I heard a guy, well, I didn't hear him personally, but a friend of a friend told me that a guy kind of seems like he's falling away from the faith. He said um, in a Bible study that if folks, uh, people of any religion call on the name of Jesus, then they'll be saved. And the whole table was like, whoa, 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 okay, what are you talking about, you know? And he said, oh, yeah, you don't have to be Christian. You just have to call up on the name of Jesus, right? Now, I'm not 100% sure what that means, but um, have you, have you, y'all heard anything like that, experienced anything like that? You're getting a lot of no's. Yes, ma'am. I just think it's easy to take just the words and not the yes. Right. Anyone who calls upon my name will be saved. Right. So maybe you're a practicing Buddhist and you say right. some kind of invitation yes. and use the word Jesus and say that's good, but yeah. that's not what that means. So. Right. Absolutely. So anybody that calls upon the name of Jesus, it sounds like some kind of incantation, right? Which, what is that called, Tom? Magic. Magic, Magic is a purely pagan idea. Notice I call on Tom for the, the pagan quote, right? <laughs> no, Tom, Tom and I have talked a lot about um, uh, paganism, both kind of in the ancient context and then also in the context of like popular stuff like comic books, um, the Marvel Universe, Star Wars, different things like that, um, where, <clears throat> you know, those ideas, they really do bleed over into kind of real life where, you know, I, I actually... Uh, was a met a guy, friend of a friend, um, a few months ago. He had a, I forget which psalm it was, but he had a psalm on, you know, one of those bracelets that people put on, the kind of rubbery ones, like Live Strong and stuff like that. His was psalm, I can't remember which psalm it was. And uh, so I'm trying to get to know him, trying to strike up a conversation. I'm like, hey, is, you know, is that your favorite psalm? He's like, oh, yeah, and he quoted it. And he goes, yeah, it's like a, you know, like a spell of protection or something. And I'm like, ooh. So we had a, an interesting conversation. But it's amazing how much of that sort of thinking is in the world because we're inundated with it. And it's hard for us not to slip into that. It's hard for, very hard for our children not to slip into that. So if you have children, you've got to be very aware of... Um, this idea that, that these, these empty words actually have some kind of power in them, okay? Because that's, that's a false teaching and um, not, not good. Yes, sir? I would just add, add one thing to that first bullet. It's a little, little bit uh-huh. off topic, but, but uh, 
but uh, that phrase helps us to understand um, much of the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, specifically how? Uh, is, in as far as the atonement, sacrifices for the atonement okay. of sin. Okay. Because Good. Because that, that's, a, that's a, a whole other subject. Right, right. But if we don't understand this, we're certainly not going to understand um, the, uh, the um, what's the word I'm looking for, the ineptness of the, of sure. the atonements. In, in, the, in the Old Testament, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like George is saying, you know, understanding this concept is key in understanding, um, you know, a lot of the stuff going on in the Old Testament. I'll say the flip is also um important where we really need to understand the Old Testament in order to understand this as well. Yes, ma'am. I think also with the only and entirely complete is, is the, um, I'm thinking permanence view, but that's not the wording I'm really wanting. It's just that when you're saved, no man can pluck you out of his hand. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's security. Thank you. It's right. only and entirely complete. Like, right. It's not like you can lose it. Yeah, a- absolutely. It's not like you can lose it and it's not like you need to add something to it. Right. So what's the, what's the word for that? Sufficiency. Yeah, exactly. Christ's death is, is sufficient, you know? Yes, ma'am. Well, and just to tie this back to like the three you applied about that it covers all sin. Uh-huh. You're saved, mm-hmm. and then you don't lose your salvation because you sin again. Right, right. right. You are saved, so the <clears throat> sin that was covered by Jesus' blood right. is for the rest of your life as right. well as everyone else's life. Absolutely. Cool. So it's not like, um, I'll kind of read into your words, it's not like you got to be saved over and over and over again. It's not like Jesus needs to be sacrificed every week or anything like that, right? It's a one-time transaction, if we can use that, that word, that um, uh, covers every sin of that, of that person completely. Yes, sir? The, the word in there that the world is going to argue about yeah. only. Yeah. Oh, great point. Great point. I, mean, I may be getting ahead of you there. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. They're, they're going to say, no, 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 there's, there's yes. other ways. Well, yeah. That, no, it's. So, so we get into potentially, rel- or actually, it's not relativism, it'd be pluralism, right? That there's different paths to God and, and all, the, um, all, all roads lead to the same God, that sort of thing, right? Well, problem is all these roads contradict one another. And so, um, and not in a divine paradoxical sort of way, just in a, a straight up sort of way. Yes, ma'am. This may be in future articles, but is it, is it confusing to, quote unquote, the world to see that it's more than sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world? As right. opposed to the, the elect. Is yes, that, is okay. That no, um, you're not. It's, it's a, even if you are jumping the, gun, jumping the gun, it's a great time to bring it up. Okay. So the idea there is <clears throat> I've talked to, um, talked to a lot of folks that will talk about TULIP, you know, which is very much related to this, of course. And one of the, one, the element that they stumble on is the L, which is limited atonement. And that is Christ died for the elect. Okay? And the Arminian position is that, that Christ died for the entire world. He died, died for everybody. And so that forgiveness has been achieved. It's just up to us to reach out our hand and take the gift. Okay? Well, that's, that's not a biblical teaching. Okay? Christ died for um, 
his church. He died for the elect, okay? Um, right, and when I say church, church slash Old, Old Testament saints, okay? Um, anybody that spends eternity with God, Christ, Christ died for them. So, um, so anyway, the, the point here is, is that um, kind of the wording of this, um, more than sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world, um, I, I think it could be, the language probably should be or could be kind of cleared up a little bit um, because that, that could e- you know, get a person thinking that he did die for the whole world. But I think the point they're making is that his death was infinitely valuable and therefore could cover the whole, the whole world. Yes, sir? It's, I think it's a true statement that it's sufficient. Yes. But it's not effective. Right, right. For the whole world. It's, it's only effective for the right. elect. Right, right. Yeah, and it's almost like in theory, right, it's sufficient for the whole world because he didn't, he didn't die for the whole world. He died for, for his people, right? Good. Yes, sir. So would an analogy for that be what the Old Testament and the atonement sacrifice? Yeah. The lamb and blood that was shed covered Israel. Right. It didn't cover Babylon or the Assyrians or any other nation. Right. That it was select for God's chosen. Right. Yeah, so the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement um, covered Israel, not Assyria or you know, Babylon or whoever, right? Yeah, and that's a great point. And that's actually a, an argument that I'll make as well. So, ab- absolutely. Uh, so, how do people get this wrong? Um, bear with me one second. What was I thinking here? Just Um, where law and justice should be our response. Oh, oh, I remember now. Okay. Um, so I'll tell you what, it's, I'm sorry, it's a convoluted question. Um, it was early when I wrote this part. Um, so the idea here is that if a person, um, if a person is, I want to say questioning, Denying, if a person is denying that you know Jesus is the the Son of God, um, you know, especially if they if they've been in the church, then they well they, they need to, they need the gospel, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Uh, the law and justice thing is probably um, probably a little too far. Like I said, it was like two o'clock in the morning when I was writing this. Um, but where I was going is some people some. Christians that love, love Christ, they're believers, they're elect, they've been saved, they can, doubt can creep in their minds where they may have think that they've done something so heinous that, that the blood of Christ couldn't or wouldn't cover it. Or maybe they're not a believer yet, maybe you're evangelizing to them, and they are so convicted by their sin, that they're like, I'm so bad that, that, um, that, you know, God would never save me, or God could never save me, or that sort of thing. Now, 
That's a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. That's a fundamental misunderstanding of exactly what we're saying here, the only an entirely complete sacrifice and of infinite value. Okay, um, so one second. Um, and so the idea there is, is that you can be, like we were talking about earlier with Jesus's ministry, you can be um, prideful in, in questioning the, the sufficiency of Christ, you, but it, you can do that when you're just emotionally drained and convicted in, in, in that as well. And, and I think we just have to, in talking to people, there's a, 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 a distinction in the way that we, we deal with that. Yes, sir? I was just going to say, I mean, broken, brokenness over sin, it's not, it's not the path to salvation. Right. Salvation is through, through understanding right. Christ's atonement for that sin. Right. And, and trusting that mm-hmm. truth. Absolutely. And so you can find people that are, you know, you see it all the time on TV when right. someone is judged uh, right. guilty and they break down and cry mm-hmm. and they're filled with remorse. Well, that's, that's, that's uh, human sadness. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, a lot, of, a lot of that can be they're actually um, remorse. <laughs> they're upset because they got caught or something of that nature. A lot of times, I'm not saying always, but a lot of times that can be the, the case. So what I'm talking about is somebody that is convicted. And it, it is a, you know, a spiritual conviction that where they just they don't quite understand exactly what Christ, what was accomplished on the cross. And, that, and that's where, um, you know, helping someone understand that is you, you, you put on your gentleness and you, you talk to them. Right, even though what they're saying is um, uh, not not biblical. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was going to say it is. I think it is helpful to to think through where people get this wrong, certainly, and how to anticipate responses they may get from unbelievers. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's helpful to think, uh, reflect on maybe people we listen to, mm-hmm. content we consume outside of the church. Mm-hmm. This past week, I was hearing a, a very respected creator of a, a Bible video series actually denying that God would pour out his wrath on his own son. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. So, so you can, yeah, this one can kind of be a big spectrum, can't it? You can have uh, serious theological flaws like you're talking about. Um, you can also, you know, run into uh, folks that just are so overwhelmed with, I'll, I'll call it emotion for lack of a better word, that it's, it's like they end up kind of denying who, who, who Christ is because they don't really understand it. Does it make sense? Okay. All right. All right, Article 4. Um, this death is of such great value and worth for the reason that the person who suffered it is, as was necessary to be our Savior, not only a true and perfectly holy human, but also the begotten Son of God, of the same eternal and infinite essence with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Another reason is that this death was accompanied by the experience of God's wrath and curse, which by our sins had fully deserved. Um, with this one, um, really we took a long time to cover a lot of what's here. Um, so if there aren't any questions, I'm gonna go ahead and go to the, the next article. We, this gets into the whole idea of what we call what the hypostatic union. That's the study of Christology, which is who, who Christ is, fully human, fully God. Yes, sir? I would just, uh, every time I hear something like that, I'm 
I'm just reminded that there are a lot of a lot of probably tens of hundreds of thousands or millions of people that died on the cross, mm -hmm. and um, and what they experienced on the cross was was not not even measurable right. as far as 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 a punishment yeah. uh, compared to what the Son of God going through that same thing uh, was. A absolutely. So what George points out is that. You know, a lot of people, um, I have no idea, hundred thousands, I, I have no idea how many people were, were crucified, um, you know, in those early centuries. Um, and it was an absolutely horrific death. I mean, it was unimaginably horrible, an unimaginable number of times over. I mean, I, I, I think the mind just shuts down at some point and you just... Once you reach such a level of pain and terror, whatever, um, but none of those compare to what Christ went through because, again, the wrath of God being poured out and, you know, taking on sin, that's, that crushing of that spirit was worse than any physical pain that anybody can imagine, right? And so, so yeah, good point, George, that... Um, the idea here is that, that the price that, that Christ paid, only an eternal, uncreated being could actually, an infinite being could, could withstand it. All right, Article 5, the mandate to proclaim the gospel to all. Moreover, it is the promise of the gospel that whoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be announced and declared with and declared without differentiation or discrimination to all nations and people to whom God in his good pleasure sends the gospel. So here, what does believes in mean? Believe that it occurred? What's that? Trust. Yeah, so the idea here is that whoever trusts in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life because there are a lot of people that will acknowledge that, yeah, Christ was crucified, but they don't trust in what he, what he did on the cross. So that's a big distinction there. Um, and then the command to repent and believe, it's, you could say, the command to repent and, and trust. Without differentiation or discrimination to all nations. So what was the primary basis of discrimination in the first century? What's that? Uh, more specific. Jew-Gentile, right? So the idea there is, is that, um, you know, the Jews believed that they were the uh, chosen people, um, which, you know, they were, how do I say this? The, the, they were corporately elected, um, but, um, and they believed that they held a, uh, a place that the Gentiles did, did not. And so, the idea is that, um, you know, in the very, very early church, the, the gospel would go out to the Jews um, and, not, and not the Gentiles. And so, or there would be people of different factions that would emphasize one or the other, okay? And so, um, primarily, the primary basis of discrimination would have been Jew versus Gentile. So what are some of the bases of discrimination today? Well, it's really 
will be saved and unsaved. Well, we're talking about presenting the gospel. So what barriers to presenting the gospel to somebody? Why, why do we say, well, I'm not going to present the gospel to this person or that person? You ever met somebody so far gone, so sinful, that I'm not going to bother giving them Jesus or telling them the gospel? No, no, no. No, not, I'm not talking about like from a security perspective. I'm just talking about, have you ever talked to somebody and it's like, oh, you know, or, or met someone and then you, you thought, no, I'm not going to share the gospel with them because it'd be a waste of time. Yes. Yeah, you, it's a natural tendency to think of, okay, what is their response going right, to be? Right, right. And if I think their response is going to be negative, then, okay, I'm not going to bother. Right. Which is a, it's a wrong Absolutely. It's a human tendency to say, well, I think they're probably going to reject it anyway, and so I'm not going to bother. Now, how biblical is that? It's the parable of the soils, and you're looking for the fruitful soil to put your seeds on instead of putting it out everywhere. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, the parable of the the soils. Um, So... um, so, are Stuart and I alone in this, or? Yes, ma'am. No, I agree with, I was going to say that, too, that we think someone's too far gone, but I think also what tends to hold us back could be um, if somebody's a good apologist for their own side, and we think, right. I'm not going to know how to handle those right. arguments or those criticisms, and then I'm going to look like a fool. <laughs> okay. So, there can be a fear perspective, mm-hmm. right? So, where we think that somebody's going to have good arguments or make points that we're not going to be able to respond to and that we're not going to be able to um, be able to, to re- respond to their, their responses. Yes? Or do our pride come into it as well, like look at the Old Testament Jonah, right. where he really didn't like the Assyrians? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's a great point. So, yeah, so Jonah uh, didn't want the Assyrians to be um, to be saved, and so he he didn't want to go until God forced him. So yeah, that's a good point. I think, uh, for example, at work, you have running with a lot of folks who um, attend church or consider it our church. Uh-huh. I think maybe we write those folks off as not needing the gospel. Right. Well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there can be people that are professing Christians. Uh, is that what you're saying? At least that. Okay. Church, okay. Okay. Okay, okay. So we, we, we can um, change our audience to some place where we think that it might be uh, more, more needy. Yes, ma'am. Um, we might have a tendency to only share the gospel with people we could see attending church with us. Yeah, okay, okay. I mean, would fit in. Right, right. So f- folks that would um, fit in the church. They're, they're not too bad. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they tuck their shirts in and... You know, right? So George just looked away. Um, right, so there, there's lots of reasons why we would um, not share the gospel with, uh, with folks. They're all wrong. 100% of them are, are, are wrong. Because um, we're commanded to, to bring it to the ends of the earth. Every, every uh, was it, tongue, tribe, nation, etc. 
All right. So does without differentiation mean that we present the gospel in the same way to every person? Using the same words, questions, whatever the case may be. What do you think? Same gospel, but do we say the same thing in the same way? No. So if we go to a biblical example of this, we can look at the Apostle Paul. In Acts 13, Paul presents the gospel, and you see him, um, I forget exactly where he's, I can't remember if he started with Abraham or Moses, but anyway, he, he steps through um, the patriarchs, he steps through um, the, um, uh, the exile, he steps through all these different um, things that are all included, basically Old Testament stories, right? He talks through, he walks through a brief synopsis of the Old Testament because his audience was Jews. And so he talked to them and presented the gospel in a way that they could understand and that they would identify with, right? So that's Acts 13. So four chapters later, in Acts 17, he is in Athens. Who's he talking to? Yeah, a bunch of uh, pagan philosophers, right? And he, he uses a completely different um, way of talking to them. He said, the God who created the world and everything in it, you know, doesn't live in you know, temples created by human hands. And he, he even quotes a couple of their um, pagan poets, okay? Um, and so the idea there is, is that Paul had one gospel. It was the gospel of, of Christ, crucified on the cross, right? But he could wrap that, that gospel, that message, he had one message, he could wrap that message in different envelopes and bring it to people in a... In a a different presentation, I'll say. So if I'm talking to somebody that believes in God and is raised in church, okay, but maybe they've, you know, they still believe in God and, you know, they've fallen away and they have some background, then I'm going to interact with them kind of on, on their terms, right, in ways that they can uh, understand and identify with. But if I'm talking to an atheist, which in an oil and gas company, I think Chad and Stuart can probably both attest to this, there's a lot of atheists in, in, um, in oil and gas companies, lots of geologists and engineers that rely on, on um, what their understanding, their bankrupt understanding of science, as opposed to what, what true science and true, true knowledge is, okay? They, I'm going to approach in a different way, okay? Um, same message, same gospel, gospel, but different envelope. Yes, sir. Okay. If you present the gospel that way, is it more likely to save somebody versus just presenting them the basic gospel? Right. So is it more likely? Yeah, sure. So it's <laughs> so is presenting them the gospel in one way or the other. Um, Sorry, I'm getting out of breath. I'm getting old. Um, is it uh, more likely to save them one way or the other? Okay. So. I think we have to look at it from, I think we could almost say from an obedience perspective, because ultimately it's not our, um, it's not our persuasive strategies or our, our um, 
you know, the arguments that we make or anything like that that is going to cause a person to come to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. However, um, I think I mentioned this several months ago. Um, I'm sure everybody's forgotten by now, but I'll go ahead and talk about, um, you know, the early chapters of Joshua, okay? And so if you look in um, Numbers, when, um, when the, the Israelites were getting ready to go into the land, um, what did Moses do before they went into the land? Who did he send before they went to the land? What? He sent spies into the land to what? Go check it out, okay? And then they didn't like what they saw. They were intimidated by what they saw, right? And so they came back, they reported as such, and then the people are like, you know, they didn't trust that God was going to carry them through it. And what were the consequences of that? Right? Wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, fast forward after that 40 years is over, they're right back in that same spot. They're getting ready to, to cross over. And um, Joshua is in command. And by the way, he was one of the spies that had been sent in, one of the, the loyal spies, though, and that, that had faith in, in God. And so what was the first thing that, that Joshua did before they went to the land? Well, he, he, yeah, well, he sent spies, okay? He would send spies to Jericho to go, to go check it out, okay? And so when, well, regardless of what happened, um, did Joshua lack faith in God? Is that why he sent the spies in? No. Joshua sent the spies in because God's sovereignty did not remove his accountability as a military tactician and strategist. He was still responsible for doing what he was supposed to do as a military commander, okay? And so the thing to do was to send in spies. Now, once they got in there, how did they end up taking over Jericho? Was it an amazing strategy? Yeah, they marched in circles with trumpets and stuff like that, right? So it was clearly a divine thing. But Joshua's act, action in terms of sending in the spies did not mean that he lacked faith. And it did not mean that he didn't think that God was sovereign. It meant that he did what he knew he was supposed to do as a military commander, right? Very similarly, I think when we talk to people, you know, if you're getting ready to talk to somebody, you know, maybe you're going to have lunch with them or something, and they've got some background that you're not familiar with, I think it's worth spending some time getting familiar with their background um, or their set of beliefs or, or whatever. You know, maybe they're a Hindu, you know. It would uh, probably be a good idea to understand a little bit of, you know, a little bit of idea of Hinduism um, when, when you talk to them, at least a couple of basic concepts, you know. Um, not required, but certainly good, Yes. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that God saves all types of people mm-hmm. with different levels of intellect too. Mm-hmm. So for to say that you should differentiate and know your your person a hundred percent every time might dissuade some people from actually trying to share the gospel because right. they're not good enough, they're not smart enough. Sure. So I think it's also important to understand that that the gospel the root mm-hmm. of everything is sufficient. Right. And that it doesn't matter about our 
right. as a person's past or history, are those things good? Yes, but ultimately it shouldn't keep you, you know, not having that ability to never speak to that gospel. I, I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, so what Mallory was saying is that you can't let that persuade or dissuade you, I guess, from sharing the gospel with somebody that maybe you don't know their background or maybe they are intimidating or whatever. And, and it's like, okay, well, I, you know, I don't have, you know, I don't have a month to go study what it is that they believe. I, I agree 100%. If you're a child. Yeah, or if you're a child. Yeah. Uh, hold on one second. Um, so I, I agree 100%, right? And if God, you know, if Joshua was in a situation where he just had to go, you know, and there wasn't sufficient time or anything like that, then, yeah, he absolutely should have just went. He should have, he should have been obedient. But where there is that, that opening, I think that, um, I think it bears uh, putting, putting in effort, I'll say. And it doesn't have to be intellectual effort, you know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about a purely intellectual ec- exercise by any stretch of the imagination, but just getting to, to know somebody and understanding kind of kind of who they are, whether it's you know their culture or their religious beliefs or, or or whatever the case may be. Now that said, you know you meet somebody in the street you don't know. Yeah, there should be no barrier to presenting them with the gospel, right? But you know, at the same time, that opportunity does not does not come up, um, or you don't have the opportunity to. Uh, to study somebody if you've, if you've never met them before and they're just put in front of you. Give them the gospel, right? And it's not you that's going to persuade them. Again, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to persuade them, right? Does that make sense? I, 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 yeah, uh, so anyway, go ahead. The example Tom brought up earlier of Jonah. Right. Jonah did not give a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a really polished mm-hmm. presentation of the gospel. He wasn't feeling it, was he? Yeah. But he had, he was probably the most successful prophet in right. the Old Testament. Right, right. Yeah, so Jonah went in and, and the king of Assyria and Assyria, they, they repented, right? Yeah. And, you know, Jonah was probably, yeah, whatever. Yeah, hey, just, just thought I'd let you know. And, and they, they repented and, and believed and were saved. Yes? Just to follow up, I, 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 I agree with, you know, the principle yeah. of, yeah. you know, if you know someone, uh-huh. um, you know, you then, then in the and I had this when I worked at HP. And sure. Had several opportunities to when we had offices and I could close my door mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know and so uh, you know that knowing someone and and anticipating their response that's all part of yeah. of our interaction. Um, I just you know we can get discussions can get to mm-hmm. the point where where you feel like you're. Your effectiveness mm-hmm. and the effectiveness in or the response is determined by your effectiveness right. as a presenter, and, and that's just absolutely not true. Absolutely, There's no. And so I know you don't believe that, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I just kind of wanted to, to yeah. make sure we have the distinction that that the simple gospel, even mm-hmm. if you know, even if you're sinfully neg- negligent mm-hmm. on loving your bro- loving that yeah, yeah. person. And you just say, look, man, you know, you're sinful. Yeah. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. As, you know, you're saved. Right. And, and he, he'll either come to Christ or not. Right. And you could, you could discuss with him for days and it wouldn't matter right. one way or the other. He is going to believe mm-hmm. or not believe. And we can celebrate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. And find peace and comfort. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
if you recall last week, um, that's one of the things that we talked about was the whole idea of divine election and why it can be so comforting. Because we, you know, it is not, people's eternal, you know, salvation does not depend on our ability to perform or study or, or anything like that, right? And, and then, you know, one of the, maybe I, I think about it all the time, mm-hmm. um, but First Corinthians 2.14, it talks about, about natural man being mm-hmm. unable to understand spiritual mm-hmm. things. Right. Uh, and that, that verse is, is, uh, is so important if, mm-hmm. if I interpret it correctly um, in us understanding the audience that we sure. have they right. are e- either able and I think the mm-hmm. word is used there is dunamis or version yeah, yeah. dunamis you know they're either able or they're not able right and and no logic can change that right um, right and, and you see that kind of rejection Bless in you. the world today right with people that are that are saying Bless. and acting foolishly about things like the gospel mm-hmm. um Right. Because they just can't. Yeah. And, and so... Yeah, so, uh, no, I agree. There is uh, um, the ability to, to understand spiritual things, right? I, I agree. Um, but this all gets into, you know, something that we've talked about multiple times, and it's God's sovereignty and human responsibility, you know? And that's something that, honestly, we, we can't reconcile. We can't put those, those things together, um, you know, we've talked about that, you know, kind of, kind of multiple times. And so, um, anyway, so we're on Article 5. Man, I thought we were going to make it today. So, all right. <laughs> I'm going to walk all the way back here and get Philip to close us in prayer. I hope that's okay. All right, cool. You want to close us? Sure. Father, just uh, thank you for this day, Father. Thank you for the life you give us. And uh, I just pray that uh, we would, as we consider this message, Father, it would challenge us to go out and talk to our neighbors, talk to those uh, co-workers, to be clear, to, to give the gospel message, Father. Um, this world is hurting. Uh, people are hurting. And I pray that um, this would just be a, a kindness and would lift them up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.